few years ago, most of us were still heading into the office five days a week. Then we were told that, you know, a mere two weeks of working from home could help us curb a worldwide pandemic and keep people safe. We assumed, okay, let's power through this and back to the office we go. Well, fast forward today and wow, have we seen a different dynamic in the workplace. I don't think any of us could have predicted such a shift in work. Most of us now work from home or are working in a hybrid environment. And today to talk about this, we have Annie Jarvis. She's the vice president of product at Indeed. We talked to Annie about the future of remote work, what she's seen working at Indeed during the pandemic, and also her experience as a leader working in a remote environment. There's lots to talk about and unpack, and we are so excited to have her on the show. This is Reconsidering, a podcast about life and how to live it better. I'm Meredith Black. I'm Aaron Walter. I'm Bob Baxley. Thanks for joining us for our conversation today with Annie Jarvis. This series is brought to you by Indeed Design, a resource for designers and researchers and all UX professionals who do design work that matters. If you're thinking about working in UX or you want to take the next step in your UX career, Indeed Design can help. Visit indeed.design for tips and tools for people of all levels. You'll find articles to help you refresh your portfolio, build more accessible products, improve team culture, and so much more. That's all at indeed.design. Hi, I'm Annie Jarvis. I am a vice president of product and I work at Indeed.com. And I lead the portfolio of what we call our job seeker products. So those are our products that serve job seekers. Uh, So the well-known Indeed.com is a great example of a product that serves job seekers. And before I was a VP of product at Indeed, I was a VP of UX. So I switched over to the dark side, but my heart still lies with design. Okay, here we go. Lightning round. Ready? Yeah. Coffee shop or library? Library. Laptop or desktop? Laptop. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. Inside or outside? Outside. Camera on or camera off? Camera off. Real time or async? Async. Document or video? Document. Backpack or suitcase? Backpack. Young genius or old master? Old master. Mm. Passionate or practical? Practical. Truth or dare? Uh, Truth. So Annie, you currently work at Indeed. You're the VP of product. You've formerly been the VP of design at Indeed. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is in the past couple of years with the pandemic, we have learned a lot about what people desire in a career, how they're reevaluating their life, what they're reconsidering, et cetera, et cetera. And so you currently work at a hybrid company. Do you feel that you are adequately prepared for the true hybrid workforce that's been implemented in the world today? Geez, yes and no. We were moving towards hybrid when COVID hit. But it's just, you know, as we all talk about, it accelerated everything. Indeed was one of the early companies just said, stop coming to work. You know, we all have laptops, just stop coming. We just, we don't really know what's going on. We don't know if it's safe for everyone to be coming to work. So 
everyone stay home. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of prep going into that. So there's a lot of scrambling. And I think, you know, we were definitely headed in this direction, but, you know, we just had to be there instantly. And with the leadership team that I worked with, we sat down and really thought about, okay, so when we get back to a normal, what do we want that normal to look like? Like we can really reevaluate things in terms of in-person, hybrid, remote, like what do we want the shape of this to be like in the future? And we decided we wanted to go to a remote first policy. And what that meant for us was we could now recruit talent regardless of geography. You know, and that was a big deal for us because really what we want is the best talent, period. We want to hire the best designers. You know, we don't really need like the best designer that happens to be in the certain city where we have an office. So that was really exciting. And it got rid of a lot of geographical boundaries that we dealt with. Like as we put teams together, we were always thinking about like, well, okay, who are the designers that are in Seattle? Who's in San Francisco? Who's in Austin? Who's in Tokyo? And it was really limiting to us in how we formed our teams. And if we thought about remote first, then we could really assemble teams with fewer boundaries. It gave us a lot more leeway. And that was really exciting. And so what became the new boundaries were really time zones and not geography. So that was a big advantage for us. We've kind of forged ahead with this remote first policy for virtually all roles in my business unit. And, you know, so far so good. There's been, you know, quite a few hiccups. One story that I I tell is right as COVID hit, one thing that, that I was working on was creating kind of a dedicated design space, like a design studio at Indeed in Austin, kind of doing a pilot. Part of it was keeping up with the Joneses. We kind of saw, you know, what Pinterest had in other companies, and you know, we wanted that too. But we also thought it was reasonable to say if we really built a space that was purpose-built for design, then we think we could, you know, design better and faster. And so I was in the middle of working with facilities, et cetera, COVID hits, and all of a sudden that doesn't really apply anymore. It doesn't make sense. You know, people aren't in the same spot anymore. So that was a sudden change. And then we had to figure out, well, well, then now what do we do? What does collaboration look like when everyone's not in the same spot? Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, what does that look like? And how do you keep people inspired, right? Because I think, especially designers, they like to be together. They kind of feed off of each other. They feed off the energy. And I mean, I think people in general do, right? And so when you are siloed and you're sitting in, you know, a guest bedroom or the kitchen table now versus having that space, how do you keep your team inspired and keep them going? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know if I have like a great answer. I mean, one thing that we recognize is we have to get people together. You know, there is no replacement for that. And so we've tried to encourage teams to say, you know, we're not going to dictate what you need to do. Like every project is different. Every team is different. But we generally believe that getting together every three to six months in person is important. And we're kind of delegating to the teams to figure out what does that look like for them? What do they need? And I think over time, we'll gather some learnings here, you know, and we can make better recommendations. But we kind of have been in a fast learning mode because we got thrown into this so quickly. Andy, could you be more specific? I mean, I think we all instinctively and intuitively know that there's something unique about getting together and that we need to have some recurring process for that. But what do you think that is? Like, like what is it emotionally or intellectually or creatively? Like, what really happens in a room together versus on a Zoom call together? 
I think there's a lot. I mean, we can kind of be academic about it, you know, I think like because this is how we brainstorm and better brainstorming happens this way. But I think, honestly, a lot of it is just human nature. And I wish someone would have told me this when I started my career, but relationships are really important. Relationships are really important to get things done at a big organization. It's really important to be effective. It's really important to communicate well, to just have these relationships in place. Human nature is like we just bond better when we are physically together. And, you know, I think about all the long-term relationships that people plot out that they think are going to work, you know, when you have to be apart for a long period of time and how difficult that is. It's just really hard to maintain relationships, you know, when there's this physical distance. And so I think a lot of it just comes back to maintaining, building strong relationships with your coworkers is really important. And I think that's one reason why it's so important to be in person together. Can we push on that a little bit more? Because one thing I've noticed working remotely since, I guess, 2016 was before I worked remotely, when I was working in person in a lovely office in Atlanta that I would drive to, I didn't really know my colleagues. I didn't know like their spouses. I didn't know like who their kids were, like what their interests were outside of work. And then when I started working remotely, I was seeing inside of people's houses I got to know their pets because their pets would walk in. Their kids would randomly walk in. My kids randomly walk in, usually in their underwear, into meetings. You know, it's sort of like oh, that. No. My, my dad has done that. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if listeners have seen that funny video clip of the BBC interview, the guy whose kids start marching in on the BBC interview, it's hilarious. But I find that remote actually like it made it easier for me to have relationships with my colleagues. I knew them as human beings, not just as coworkers. That's so interesting. I was just at an offsite last week where I hadn't seen most of my coworkers since COVID hit. And I'm just trying to reflect on what was so great because everybody was saying how great it was, you know, to see people in person. No, no, it totally is great. <laughs> and you know, like, well, what was so different about that? And I'd say like the amount of people I talked to you know, because people just grab you for five minutes, like, oh, I had this idea, or I wanted to share this. And I think like when everyone's remote, you kind of have to, you know, like, okay, well, if I'm going to go reach out to someone, I have to have an agenda. It has to be like more, it, it seems a little bit more formal. And so it was just like kind of more, these are early ideas, or these are just, you know, something I wanted to tell you. It just kind of percolates and it's right there. And you can do that when you're in person, but it seems like it's trickier to do, you know, over Zoom. One question I have is, in this world of, you know, remote hybrid workplaces is careers, right? Like we've just learned over the past few days, like how kids have been set back, right? With like math and literature and English and science classes from being stuck in a pandemic. Do you think that careers are being set back or do you think that careers maybe haven't gotten the same type of attention that they did previously in terms of career growth? Yeah, I have a specific concern. So at Indeed, we have this really cool group called, not to be a total Indeed shill right now, but like this is like incredible. Everyone should know about this. Indeed.com slash hiring lab. And what it is, is it's a bunch of really smart people, economists, et cetera, that have access to the fire hose of data that Indeed has about jobs, about job seekers, about all this stuff, right? It's an incredible amount of data. And they go through it and they kind of share insights. And one of the insights they came out with, which I thought was very interesting, that's along the lines of what you're, you're asking, Meredith, is 
we were figuring out like, why are people looking for jobs, you know? And a lot of it will be like, well, I want to be paid more. And that's pretty much the same across genders. What's really different across genders is I'm looking for a new job because I want to work remote. You know, there are many more women looking for remote work than men. And so one question we're asking is, well, how does that play out? And we don't really know yet. The explosion of remote work is so new. Like, I don't think we've seen the effects yet. And so if you're working remote, like, are you more likely to be held back in your career? Are you more likely not to get those pay increases? Are you less likely to be promoted? I mean, all of those seem like reasonable hypotheses, and we just don't know yet. And so, you know, we're definitely keeping an eye on these things and figuring out how can we ensure that there is fairness in this new hybrid remote world, you know, when it comes to things like gender. Annie, do you have visibility into how many remote job postings there are today versus pre-pandemic? Just curious how sticky that transition has been for companies or if there's some backsliding to we must be together in the same building. Yeah, I actually recently looked at that and I don't have a perfect memory, so I don't want to recount. But there has been an explosion of remote work since the pandemic. And I'm trying to remember if the, how much backsliding there's been, but my takeaway was like, it's here to stay. It's highly desirable to a lot of people. And we need to do a great job kind of explaining the type of remote work as we move forward in this world, you know, like, because not all remote work is the same. There's hybrid, there's like, it's totally remote, but you have to reside in a certain city or state. So it's kind of this new thing that we just have to have a better understanding of and make it easier for people to find what they're looking for. What do you think people discovered by going remote? There are a number of things that can be attractive to remote life, but what do you think are like the core themes that that stand out? Well, I mean, it depends on the person, right? But not having to deal with a terrible commute, the idea that you can live where you want to live and not live close to work, you know, that that doesn't dictate. I think there's that. And then there's just you know, better work-life balance is really a theme, isn't it? Just, you know, I can pick up my kids, I can multitask, I can take a meeting, I can do laundry at the same time. You know, more of my weekend is free because I've kind of been able to keep up on my chores, you know, while I work. And it doesn't really take away from my work. So I think there's a lot of different themes there, but I'd say, you know, just getting more time back to live and then being able to live wherever you want are two kind of big themes I hear. Yeah, I'm not sure that's people's lived experience of it. I've certainly experienced my own challenges and know many people on my team. It felt like without the division of their day between an office environment, a home environment, everything just bled together and they ended up feeling like they were at work kind of all the time. I also kind of wonder about the impact on the different generations. I mean, we're all older, we're all established in our careers. You know, I certainly really enjoy working remote, but I do think about the junior members of my team, and they're not getting any of that spontaneous interaction. They're not having social bonds at work. They're not getting access to senior leadership. Like, I don't know, man, if I'm 24, 23, 24, 25 entering the job market, I think this is horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Like we definitely heard that theme loud and clear at Indeed. There were, I think, a number of younger new joiners 
that we're really looking forward to all the social activities that we offer, like many tech companies, right? Like we've got, you know, you can play pool or ping pong or whatever, you know, we have the game room, we have happy hours, you know, there is always stuff, you know, to help you build a social network and maybe a new place because you went to college someplace else, you know, super common. And that all of a sudden completely went away. And that was not fun for a lot of people. That's a great point. Yeah. And do you think part of it was like, you try to recreate that experience remotely, but then it feels kind of forced, right? Like, let's have a happy hour on Zoom. (laughs) I remember being invited (laughs) to so many early, like, virtual happy hours when COVID first hit. And man, those tapered off pretty quickly because... I don't know about your, your thoughts on but those were just not like half as fun as the real thing. They're more hour than happy. <laughs> yes, yeah. You're like watching the <laughs> clock, like when is this over? Well, the, so, like, the social stuff is certainly important and many of us meet lifelong friends and spouses and whatnot through work. But I think there's also this undercurrent of just learning. And again, with the younger people on my team, I legitimately worry. And I see it with my own kids who are also young adults. You know, They're just not around more experienced workers to learn and, and see how they function and how they move. I definitely get the social stuff. And, and I think there's ways that people can figure that out. It's probably healthy for them to figure out their own social community in their immediate neighborhood. But that learning piece, that one makes me really nervous and what that could mean for them down the road. Yeah. We really struggled to figure out, okay, how do we onboard people, you know, completely virtually, you know, when we never see them in person. And yet to your point, just learning in teaching was harder. It has to be more structured. It has to be more thought out. It's less just kind of in the moment. Like, hey, I'm doing this thing. I'm going to grab you. Come over here. That used to happen a lot. It doesn't happen anymore. So yeah, that's absolutely true. Onboarding and offboarding is really fascinating in remote environments. I feel like this is one huge improvement to the work experience, the onboarding part at least, because in remote environments, as someone who's led multiple teams, I would write really, really detailed onboarding guides and I would pair them with people and schedule like their first two weeks of meetings so they'd have like people they could meet and get contacts and just like, you're not here to wander around the halls. So I've got to be really intentional about creating that experience for you. But the offboarding I find is weird because people just like, they quit, they get let go, they're not there anymore. And it's just like, you go to say hello on Slack and their name's not there anymore. It's like, it's bizarre. It's like, you've been ghosted. Oh, geez. I'm not sure I've had that experience yet and I don't look forward to it. But thanks for the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, no, I've have had that experience. That's exactly what it's like. It's like suddenly they've just disappeared and their Slack account now says deactivated. Maybe you're able to see them on Zoom and have some sort of collective goodbye, but it's not the same as going out for drinks together after work or something like that. It's a very kind of empty feeling. Yeah. I guess I'm lucky. At least I've gotten like goodbye emails. <laughs> Do you think the shift to remote has like fostered this culture where people are really reconsidering how they think about their job? And we hear this kind of position around the concept of quiet quitting, but I just wonder if some of these things are a response to remote work. Like I just am not going to be fulfilled in the same way with all my emotional needs in a remote environment. And maybe that's okay. I'm not trying to place a value judgment on it. Just, it seems like there's probably some causality there, or at least it does to me. Okay. You're coming at this at like a totally negative point of view. So I'm going to come at it from a totally like positive point of view. Perfect. Um, So (laughs) 
once like all the remote stuff hit me, like one thing that I've always wanted to do, and I can't really explain why, is live out of a vehicle. I really like living out of vehicles. And in my head, I was just like, well, I just have to decide when I'm going to quit my job. And then I can go do this thing that I know that I have to do for reasons I can't explain to anybody. And then remote hits, right? And I'm like, wait, can I do both? Is that possible? So for the last three summers, and actually the first summer was longer because my son's school was remote. So, I mean, he was going to school from Yellowstone, you know, we were everywhere. And I think I, you know, will do that as much as I can going forward is I just prefer to live from a vehicle and work from a vehicle. And I couldn't have done that before. Just everyone has to figure out like how this works for them. And for me, like it was kind of mind blowing to be like, this is great. For other people, it's not great. And ideally, you can offer different solutions for different people because people are different. And, you know, one thing we work towards is you don't have to be remote if you don't want to. You can go to the office every day. If you're close to an office, you just have to be close to an office. And if you want to go in one day a week or two days a week, that's great too. So I think building flexible solutions because people are different is the ideal. Now, not every company can do that, but that's, I think, kind of the ideal. So I'm going to challenge that one because I think I, I actually think you're wrong on that one. I think that with this thing where you can go into the office when you want completely undermines the concept of going to the office because you go there and nobody's there. Like So this, this idea that we are all going to go to the office because we're all making a shared sacrifice to be in a space together and we're doing it every day for the benefit of being together, Like that option's not really available anymore. We've opted instead for a world that's optimized for individual choice. And individual choice means you can't really count on who's going to be there. Well, I disagree. Okay, so one, one, like, it's kind of like, I mean, think of the people who can't work at home, right? Like, I work work with a lot of people, the designers that are in Tokyo. Okay, they live in the tiniest places, you know? Like, maybe, you know, like, that's not a great place for them to work. Or maybe you have a child at home. You know, like, there are people who actually, like, need that space for like a variety of personal reasons. And I think like what I see happening a lot is people will say like, hey, I'm going in the office tomorrow. And then you kind of get a couple people to come into the office. And one thing that's kind of interesting too is, and Austin indeed has like several offices. And it's interesting to see like what's happening because there are offices that are dead spaces. Nobody goes to that one, but everyone's going to this other one. And then it becomes kind of this gravitational pull that pulls everyone in like, oh, everyone's over there. So if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go over there because I know I'll see people. So I don't know. I I mean, I accept the challenge. I accept the challenge, but it's complicated, isn't it? Well, and I should be, you know, I'll be upfront here. I personally really love being remote. I can't imagine being back in an office. It's, It's such a better fit for my personality type and my working style. In the hybrid world, you've really, I think, cut off the option of people being in the office and being able to expect critical mass there and have those interactions because everybody's there. And so I just kind of push against the hybrid model a little bit. But let me push back on that a little, Bob. I think you have the expectation, but I don't think the expectation is necessarily what everybody's thinking. Like, I I mean, I do. I think Annie kind of nailed it. Like, Yes, that works for you because you like being remote. However, like if you live in a multi-generational family or if you've got a bunch of kids or if you live in a studio apartment with your partner who's like also doing remote calls, like some people just really like going in and having that structure of being able to go into an office from nine to five and being able to know that like this is where they're going to go. This is where they're going to get their work done and this is where they can like mentally leave it. But that's my point, though, is that through this, we've dramatically renegotiated the social contract around work. And I'm trying to understand, like, I think we've 
renegotiated a contract that's optimized for individual choice. And I wonder if in the process of doing that, we've sacrificed the concept of community. I mean, from where I sit, like we're still working it out, you know, and I see good progress, I think, in different areas. But I hear you, optimize for individual choice. But man, sometimes, you know, when we decide like, hey, we all have to get together, that's not individual choice. That's, you know, hey, everyone, we're asking everyone to kind of prioritize getting together so that we can work through some hairy problems together. Yeah, but that's the root of community, though. Like The root of community is that we've all agreed to be present in a place together, no matter the sacrifices it costs us individually. That's how we're going to accomplish something together. But it's different now because it's not every day. It's not the norm. You're right. I think like the norm is, yeah, optimizing for individual choice, for sure. But it's not like the absolute every day. I like this line of questioning, though, the idea of renegotiating the contract with work and the role it plays in our life. And it seems like that's kind of empowered a lot of workers. And we've seen that in various ways with people quitting, shifting jobs, renegotiating where they want to live. Do you see that mentality playing out in other aspects in the way that people approach their careers and their work? Tech is extremely privileged, I think, compared to most careers, right? And so the thinking out of the box, the asking for what you need, it just seems like that's been longstanding because there's so much value, you know, like there just aren't enough tech workers. So I guess like in my world, I don't know if I've seen a shift. In when I talk to employers in different industries, there's definitely been a shift mostly just because there's a shortage of workers, right? That workers are now very empowered. Job seekers are very empowered. There's an imbalance in the market. And so when I talk to like uh, a local employer in Northern Michigan, where I spend a lot of time in the summers, I ask the closest bar, like, how's it going? What's hiring look like for you? And they said, we can't get anybody in the door. We got one applicant. And then he decided to take the job down at Jay's Fruit Market, even though it was a dollar less, because it's just a lot easier. You know, this is a bar. You got to hustle. You know, you got to make drinks. You got to serve them. And at Jay's Fruit Stand, you just, it's a lot more relaxed. So I think there's a shift in power. And and now there's more choices available to job seekers. I don't know how much that plays out in tech. Yeah, it's interesting because right now there's a bunch of layoffs in tech, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, maybe things will change. I just, I, ha- I personally haven't seen it yet. Yeah, there's a lot of people getting reabsorbed, though, even after the layoffs. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a there's a massive power shift going on right now between workers and companies. That's yes. mostly due to labor demand and shortage of workers. Yes, yes. Andy, do you think remote has influenced the interviewing process and how you like show your bona fides and and evaluate someone for a role? Let's see. In tech, I don't know how much it has changed things. If I think more broadly beyond tech, the virtual interview really has exploded, right, since COVID. And so I think in the tech community, people were pretty comfortable with, you know, doing remote interviews. It wasn't terribly uncommon. But beyond tech, it really, in many places, is is a very new thing. And so people had to onboard themselves onto the new technology and there was a learning curve. And I think like what we've heard from a lot of job seekers is that it's hard for them to find a space to interview. You know, like there's a lot of just these like things that if you're on Zoom all day, you might not think about because you've got your space all set up. But for someone who doesn't have that space, like they've got to find it or, you know, they don't want people to see 
where they're at or their background, you know, because that could influence the hiring decision. So I think it's been a bigger deal outside of tech. Let me dive into that a little bit. I hear from people who are interviewing right now that there are perhaps maybe larger expectations for those people who are interviewing in terms of like longer days of interviews, several more Zoom calls than you probably would have had if you're in the office, you know, interviewing in person. Do you see that or do you hear about that? I have not. Is that what you're hearing? Mm -hmm. I am. I'm also hearing, you know, that working with a recruiter is actually getting a lot more difficult too. And I think that's just because there is the back and forth and there's kind of the overwhelming of who do you recruit? How do you recruit? Who do you get in touch with? Who do you stay in touch with? Who do you keep warm and all of that stuff. And so I just hear as an applicant, it is much harder than it used to be to kind of A, get in there, right? And build the same relationships that you used to. And B, the process is just different or the process changes when they're a part of it, right? And maybe that's just a result of the world changing so fast and, you know, things pivoting so fast and the type of companies that these people are interviewing for. But, you know, they go in for one thing and by the time they're done with the interview loop, things have changed. The role has changed. Org changes, you know, all of that stuff. It's been interesting to hear. Yeah, the interview process, has that changed dramatically? And, uh, you know, I don't know, but I, could, I guess I can see the point where it used to be you'd kind of go into the office at some point, be your on-site interview. And, and so it was like whoever they could get to come in that day to meet you, like that was it. You weren't going to come back 10 times typically, right? So I could see how that has changed somewhat, like be more split up. But I guess like in terms of constant reorgs and stuff, like I have, I actually have heard this, that there has been so much just like quitting and, you know, taking a generally a better job or a job that you were more interested in that, yeah, that person that you were supposed to interview with or the person that was going to make the hiring decision, all of a sudden they're not there. I have heard a lot about that. And I think for a while we were called, that was like called like what the great quitting or whatever, but it really is just kind of, you know, shifting and taking a better job, I think is kind of a better characterization of that movement. It certainly feels like there's a lot of volatility in the job market right now. And so you see people moving around and, and with greater flexibility, as you noted at the beginning, with people being able to work for companies anywhere. Because you talked about the talent acquisition from the company's point of view, but of course it works the same way for the workers, right? Like you can work for companies anywhere. Um, yes. So it opens up the possibilities for everyone. If You know, the dating pool has gotten much bigger, if you will. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And so, and so people are re-evaluating their options. So you do get a lot of coming and going that may settle down at some point. I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of tagging off Aaron's question about the interview process. Do you think that there's skills or personality traits that are more rewarded in a remote first world than were previously? If you think about how to, how to structure your career or things that you should be learning about or trying to get better at, what are those things that you should probably focus on that are going to be particularly useful in a remote environment? I guess when I'm thinking about design, very honestly, like a good designer, in my point of view, is going to be rewarded in an in-person role versus a, a remote role, you know? So I don't think that has changed. One thing I saw us struggle with in design when we moved to kind of remote very suddenly was, you know, how do we collaborate? You know, we're not all around the whiteboard. It was like death of the physical whiteboard, right? So we would try these online collaboration tools. And a lot of designers tried a lot of different ones. And where it often like fell short was 
at some point you need to share your designs beyond like the immediate kind of design team, you know? And when we try to share kind of these boards on these different collaboration tools, when you're trying to share them beyond design, there was all this friction, right? Because I'd want you to log into this tool. And so it suddenly became apparent being able to share and get feedback on your designs and to be able to kind of frame them up in this virtual environment was suddenly like a much more valuable skill. And to think through kind of that sharing process and of just clicking share on the board and the tool that you're in that nobody else has access to outside of design to kind of think through that user experience, you know, how's an executive going to be able to effectively review this design and what we're going to do? Well, probably throw it into like a slide deck that they're in all day and they know how to comment on and et cetera, et cetera. So I think effective collaboration in a virtual world, especially beyond design, is something that's kind of gotten more tricky. Hey, Annie, for you personally, what are the pros and cons of being fully remote? What do, what do you take away as like your life has changed for the better and then some things that might you might pine for the past? I love remote because I love to travel around in a vehicle. And so I couldn't do that before. You know, I can live on the road. You know, I can go and hike the Canadian Rockies and then, you know, take an afternoon meetings. I mean, that's amazing to me. So there's huge pros there. And then just the normal, like, you know, I have my laundry's done now. I see more of my son. I don't have to enroll him in after school care. So there is a lot of pros for me. The cons are just it's harder to build those relationships. I don't think that was a strength of mine to start with, very honestly. And now it's even harder. And I see that like having strong relationships when you're working in a really big company is really important. And so my best shot is always kind of like offsites or the happy hours, et cetera. But I think that's like the hardest part for me is just like, how do I build new relationships and maintain the ones I have in, in a remote first environment? Yeah, we talked about the onboarding from the employer's point of view. The job that I'm in now, I was in before the pandemic. So I haven't personally had to onboard into a remote environment. And I'll bet that's really complicated, you know. And Annie, my guess is that you were at Indeed before the pandemic as well. So you kind of already had these relationships in place because you'd had these physical interactions with the office. And so going from that intensely physical in-person reality to remote I think is easier than having been remote the entire time. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I have onboarded reports that were remote for the first year and a half, you know, and it was just interesting to see like, how do we work through this? How do you build relationships? And honestly, like there just isn't, I think, a good workaround for in-person necessarily. From my point of view, like I remember somebody I, I onboarded and she was just like, okay, I see the people I need to work with really closely. I'm going to have a happy hour. And it was in Austin because there still is, it still is kind of our tech headquarters at Indeed. And so there's a ton of people in Austin. And so she was able to meet lots of people. But again, like that was just like in person. I just think like as we get more dispersed, that's going to be less of a go-to. And I don't, really know what that looks like. I don't know, you know, how you really foster those relationships when you're just on Zoom all day, which can be exhausting. So we've talked a little bit about what it's like if you're younger, you know, and you're coming into the workforce, so you're 25. So I'm going to ask you, Annie, to, <laughs> to imagine yourself a moment, you know, as 25-year-old Annie to bring that back into your memory, see if you can remember her and what she was doing and what she was like. Oh, she was a mess. 
<laughs> no one to listen to that Annie. Um, so if that Annie and this Annie sat down together and hung out, what kind of advice would that Annie have for the Annie you are today? She would be like, you need to just take over the world. Like she, I think like it was more unbridled ambition. And so I think that the advice would be like, be more aggressive, you know, try to push your career further. You know, now I'm old, tired, Annie, and <laughs> I don't know about that advice anymore. Yeah, that's good. Totally yeah. fair. Yeah. Totally fair. Fantastic. Annie, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people learn more about you and what you've been doing? You have to come find me and hang out with me. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> I find you on a trail in the, in the Rockies. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm in some vehicle <laughs> roaming, roaming the earth. Awesome. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. This was fun and challenging. Well, that was a great conversation that we just had with Annie. Aaron, what are your initial thoughts? You know, I have a very specific view of remote just because I've been doing it for a while and I started working remotely before the pandemic, so I wasn't forced into it. I am comfortable in my house. I've got plenty of space, so I don't feel confined or limited or, or the need to go somewhere else. And I'm also like a little further on in my life, so I'm not trying to climb the ladder or you know meet a spouse or make new friends at work. So remote for me is perfect, but I do think it's important to just parse out who wins and who loses in a remote environment, that younger people, people who might be in a city in a limited space can lose in a remote situation. And we need to be conscious about how we're taking care of those people. What are we doing to bring them in? Well, obviously it's a topic that's very much in flux because of all the episodes, this one was where we went back and forth and there was more pushing on different arguments and stuff than any of the other episodes. So I think that's representative of the fact that we're, again, kind of in the middle of this giant social experiment and this big renegotiation that's really uncertain where it's going to go. I do have some concern we're not thinking about where we want it to go. And instead, we're just sort of seeing where it is going to go. At the beginning, Annie mentioned that companies like remote work because it gives them access to a greater talent pool um, and that Throughout the conversation, she sort of emphasized that workers like it because it gives them more flexibility. And all those things are true. There's some convenience factor, which is kind of what she was arguing. There's, there's other big economic impacts to it as well, which we didn't get into as much. And it does just change the real social fabric of people's lives, the social fabric of communities. It's a big, bold, unstructured experiment which is, I think, why we're all debating it from so many different angles. And I, I'm not trying to like judge it. And again, I, I kind of know what my personal preference is. And it, it doesn't even matter if I think it's good or bad. It is happening. There's, just, there's no way we're going back. And so a lot of the question for me and what I found really fascinating talking to Annie and enjoyed about the conversation was gives me a little bit of thoughts about trying to project where we might be in another two, three, five, ten years. Yeah. I think you know the one thing that stood out for me is Annie is – She's just a great leader in general. You know, she was a design leader. Now she's a product leader. And she's also at this company that's helping other people get 
jobs. You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of like, there were kind of two conversations that were happening at the same time that I don't think that we could get at a lot of other places. And so I think for all of us, I think that's probably maybe why we were engaged so much is because we have our own opinions about how things work and have our own opinions about, you know, what we would do as leaders and stuff like that. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think both of you are right is we don't know where this is going to go. And I think right now, part of it is just, we're kind of putting band-aids on things and we're not looking at the whole picture. And so what does that mean five, 10 years from now? And what are we going to look back on and say like, oh, like, this really affected things one way or another and in maybe a positive way or a negative way, right? And I just don't think we're going to know and we just have to do the work and live through it in order to kind of come out the other side. I'd be interested five years from now for us to have this conversation on this podcast again to see where we are at and to see if we've like nailed it or completely missed it. Well, she hinted at some of the risks we're dealing with, which is, you know, female labor force participation and how many women are looking for remote works and whatnot and, and, and how that can play out. And then again, what it means, we, we hinted at this as well, like what it could mean for younger workers coming in and do they actually bond to companies? They bounce around a lot. Like what happens with their promotions? Is there a bias towards people that are in the big cities and they get better promotions or whatever? We didn't dig into it much, but there are opportunities for remote to create a more egalitarian work environment. You know, we touched on it when we talked to Felix Lee from ADP recently. We were talking about video tools or, you know, remote tools, making it easier to hire and mentor people who are on the other side of the world. Annie talked about that a little bit as well. So geographically, and then that can play out in lots of different demographics, can bring more people into the work environment. And also, we, we talked about it off tape, but the idea of like physical presence in an office that might give certain people an advantage, they're taller, they're bigger, they're more imposing, that, you know, it doesn't come through as much in a remote environment. And so it could level some playing fields in the workspace. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that conversation with Felix because that's an interesting contrast. Annie did mention that it opens up the, the talent pool and they'll hire from anywhere and it takes geography out of the, the mix. But then she also mentioned, but they need to be within a certain number of time zones, which in our case kind of means, well, you basically have to be in North America. And a lot of what Felix was pushing at, I think, was that remote gives you the opportunity to be truly global. But to be truly global, you probably have to adopt more of an async type model and you have to be willing to take fewer overlaps have less time in the in the day where you overlap with coworkers. And I haven't seen a lot of companies willing to do that. But it seems like there's this global possibility for remote, but you only get it if you go fully in. If you're still thinking, oh, I need people within a couple of hours of my current office, at least if you're in the United States and I'm presuming in Europe as well, you're basically saying, well, I'm going to hire people from a few different cities, but I'm still kind of staying in the same general vicinity. Yeah, I have seen people moving for work in a remote job, but they're moving within like a vague time zone of like, okay, if everyone else is waking up at my, they're already at work when it's 5 a.m. for me. By the time I get to work, it's still their work day. So, you know, it works out. Thanks, Annie, for joining us. It's a lot of fun. Very hot topic for sure. Reconsidering is created by Aaron Walter, Bob Baxley, and me, Meredith Black with editing help from Brian Paik of Pacific Audio. Original music for the show was written and performed by Kimo Meraki. 
You'll find a full transcript of this episode and all the links mentioned at reconsidering.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to catch future episodes and discover the treasures of the Reconsidering Library. To support the show, we'd be ever so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Your review will help others discover the show. And life, like the seasons, is ever-changing, but satisfaction can be found every day when we tune in. Until next time.